What's the conversation around, you know, self-love, self-appreciation, yeah. and the desire to wear a wig? Honestly, really not even a conversation in that aspect. It's more so a conversation of convenience. What I did was I, and this is when I realized value, I saved them time because I'm coming to you every six to eight weeks to do a new install of weave where that is going to save you maybe three hours in the salon every single week. So I know that you'll agree, enjoying myself while I work is the vibe that I'm trying to be on. So I want to invite you guys to Sidebar ATL here in Atlanta, Georgia. Sidebar, on top of the good food and live music, they have three different experiences. That means you can join me in the garden room, in the gold room if you want to try the top of the line hookah, and they also have the dungeon where I hear what happens in the dungeon stays in the dungeon. So it's the perfect mix if you're here on business or you want to blow off some steam after work, you can meet me at Sidebar ATL so that you can have a little bit of dinner and then turn up afterwards if that's your jam. So check us out, 79 Poplar Street here in downtown Atlanta, or you can call 678-800-0741. Let's get it, work and play at the same time. Right? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel, and we have a really special guest today, Mr. Darius Bone. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm glad you're here. We're going to have a really good conversation. I feel it. I feel it. I do. <laughs> it's already, we already. We've been cutting up before the episode even really started. So without further ado, would you please introduce yourself to the folks? What's up, people? My name is Darius Bone. I'm the CEO of 1111 Extensions. We make designer wigs for coaches, CEOs, and corporate women. Yes, now he said it's so cool. I, when I look at him, I, I think of the the um, Neo of the hair business, like the Matrix, because I'd be like, super cool. No, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, you got to do yeah. it smooth. That's that's how I see him. And so getting to know you, I've got a chance to see you evolve mm -hmm. a little bit as a business owner. But one thing is for sure, I wanted to talk about this before we even got into the conversation. You were like, I hope you know I wasn't in corporate. I was like, listen, I already, of course yeah. I already knew. Yeah. And even though we talk about the, my journey specifically, but also my clients and other other people who have been on the show mm -hmm. going from corporate to entrepreneurship, what I realize is some of the things like the motifs of us learning how to transition, they are all consistent in the same realm. Yeah. So much of the stuff that you're experiencing, that you've experienced, that you're going to share today, I know we're going to be able to relate. Yeah. So Great. we're going to get into it. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so you said you said eleven eleven hair extensions. Yes. Um, what exactly is your role in your business? Do you What do you do? Woo, that's a good. For, come on out the gate. <laughs> so my role in eleven eleven extensions right now is a CEO and operations manager. So I am the person who makes majority of the decisions and I also handle day-to-day -day operations. Mm -hmm. Now it's a process to get into that level, right? Like <laughs> becoming a CEO in mm -hmm. itself is a lot. So for you, in in terms of like where you went in the hair business to where you are now, like what, what brought you to the CEO operations role? The journey itself. Um, being in the salon, I felt like more so of a worker and I felt like I didn't have any control over anything. So once I left the salon and I had time to really just sit still and kind of figure out which direction I wanted to go to the, go with the business, I realized, okay, you need to really drive this thing instead of letting it pull you around. And the operations manager portion came once I started to brain dump and realize, you know, once I'm delegating tasks, there needs to be a head of command 
to kind of run everything and oversee everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as we talk about the CEO development, um, we were talking about offline before we even got into the mm. podcast, just like how you've learned to create processes in the yeah. business and time management. So can you talk a little bit more about like the direction that you're going in as an as a CEO as it relates to the education that you talked about a little bit? So for the education, I just want to basically teach people how to get to where I am now. Most of us in this industry, we don't see the end game. It's just, you know, I'm going to keep working this until I can't work it anymore. And I've talked about it on my social media before. Most hairdressers either end up retiring from behind the chair and having to get a job, which is what we don't want to do from the beginning, or um, they they fizzle out because they lose their shine, trends start to change, and the customers start to move in a different direction. So I want to really help people who are behind the chair learn that you can make money and a lot of money without trading your time for money. So we want to get into just getting them in the right direction, whether it's developing a product, a course, or you know, taking your actual skill and teaching other people how to do it and just automating the process. It's, I never knew about processes and systems until I left the salon. <laughs> Listen, from a client's perspective, mm -hmm. I will tell you how important processes are to me. Like for me, like my schedule is extremely busy. Yeah. And I was telling you, as you were talking about building your, your uh, podcast, mm -hmm. having someone come on as a loctician, a professional loctician, yeah. it's important for me because I will pay a hundred dollars more, like yeah. just off the fact that you keep me, like you keep me within the time parameters that yeah. I signed up for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. Like right now, I think people are losing a lot of money because, like, I, I will, I value um, a professional mm -hmm. who does hair, who like really cares about the follicles, who yeah. knows what they're talking about, as opposed to somebody who can just do a cute style. Because mm -hmm. I'm care, I'm, I want to care about my hair. Yeah. So you started off as a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. What type of hairdresser were you? Are you still trying to get a leg up on your entrepreneurial career? Now I told you about the morning meetup, the community that was created for the betterment of entrepreneurship. And we are cooking up some really cool things. Now here's the thing. If you join today, you can actually get in for 60% of the original price. So if you join today, all you have to do is download the app and I provided the link below so that you can join us. We have community, we have a book club and it's the largest group that meets every single day, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. to literally get a head start on entrepreneurship. So if you're still trying to grow, you don't know what your business is going to be, but you know you want to be an entrepreneur, this is the community for you. So check out the morning meetup, click the link below, download the app and join us today. I was definitely the hairdresser who made sure that you had a lot of real hair, but I also made sure that you bought a lot of extra hair as well. Mm. So I was I was good at both. Like I, I did really good installs and extensions, but one thing that I took pride in with the extensions is that all my clients <laughs> had their edges. And I used to say, I'm like, we brag differently. My girls still got all their edges. And even now with the wig company, yeah. my customers have really nice hair because I convinced them that, you know, these wigs are more so, you know, it's a look, but it's also a long-term protective style. So I always cared about the integrity of the hair. And girls like you are, y'all are starting to come out now, but for a while in the hair industry, the girls didn't really care. They just wanted to look. And I think that's why we have this divide in the industry, because there are stylists who will 
knock out an install and it looks great, but the foundation is rocky, they're not going to wash your hair, mm -hmm. they're not going to do a lot of things for you, and then you have people who really care about the integrity of the hair. So you kind of just got to find a person who aligns with what your values for your hair are. Can we talk a little bit about where to find them? So I'm outside <laughs> looking in. You're in the industry. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like when I look around, there's no disrespect. And I like the way you, you characterize the wig as a long-term protective style. Because very... Got you. you, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I guess you're right. Like, mm -hmm. you can protect your um your hair. And then you the brag is your edges. Because growing up, yeah, a wig was a joke. You get what I'm saying? Times like, snatch the wig off. Mm -hmm. So my perception is outside looking in, right? Yeah. So like, where do you find, or how does a person find a hairdresser that is the type that aligns to them? Well, oh, I had this conversation on my Instagram a while ago. You have to look for certain things. You have to look for the type of customer that they are displaying mm -hmm. first. You have to look at the type of places they're serving their customers in. If this looks like they are servicing people in a home or mm -hmm. in a area that d doesn't hold a certain standard, some people have beautiful salons. You know, you you know where you're going. So. You have to look for those types of things, and I will always look for a license. You, as a licensed cosmetologist and a salon owner, you're supposed to have licenses displayed. If you go into a place and your stylist does not have a license displayed, that is not a professional stylist. They are probably not going to know the ins and out of, you know, servicing the real hair itself and the, the scalp. So you just got to look for certain things. And my my point is, I'm not gonna go like if I were were to go to a barber shop, and I see Raycon posting people smoking blunts in there, and you know people with face tattoos. No no offense, but you know a certain type of scene, I wouldn't go there. But if I was to see the barber who is at work dressed a certain type of way, I'm seeing guys in suits and turtlenecks and cashmere sweaters. Mm. I align with that a little bit more, so I'm gonna go there. Mm, this is good because in the a lot of like with it, when it comes to these like career transitions, mm -hmm. it's about who we have to show up as. Yeah. The traditional career advice is don't look like the job you have, look like the job you want. Mm. And it sounds like you subscribe to that same like perception, like where it's like if you if it's clean looking, if it's uh, prestigious, they have the profession, they have yeah. the the license. What's your thought process on like? you know, experienced hairdressers versus like the ones who have the certification without as much like 20 years of experience? The experience, the OGs really know what they're doing. They really know what they're doing and I feel like they get lost in the sauce because trends change and once you kind of find your niche and you're, you're good with it, you don't really expand. The new ones are more favorable to some people because they they know the new trends so they know the new trends and they haven't quite learned um how to value themselves so it, it's less expensive so it's like i can get this for cheaper and i know you know the new trends so let me go over here versus me going to an older established stylist who might not know the new trends but mm -hmm. the integrity in the work is there mm, that's big that's yeah. big speaking of value in self this is about you okay so we gotta get into your story Okay. I would love to know. So you were a hairdresser before CEO, mm -hmm. and there was Darius before hairdresser. So where did you begin your love for hair? 
You know, I honestly feel like I've always had a love for hair. Even as a small boy, like I would just like girls with nice hair. So I feel like it was always there. Um, it's kind of faded away for some years. You know, as you kind of find yourself and it kind of reemerged when I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. Um, and it was because of me, like I, I've always been like a really clean cut guy. I used to go to the barbershop twice a week and my mama was like, I'm not about to keep paying for these haircuts two times a week. So you need to figure something out. So what I did was I learned how to cut my own hair. So once I started cutting my own hair, I began to cut other people's hair, like my, my homeboy's hair. And that just kind of became the thing. Like the boys would be at my house. I'd be in my mama's dining room cutting hair. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, oh, this is so bad. I always felt like I could do girls' hair because I'm the only boy in my family. I have sisters, aunts, cousins, everybody is a girl. I've seen girls sit down on Saturday evenings, get their hair combed for the week. So I always felt like I knew how to do it. But um, I was on Craigslist one day and I ran across an ad and it was like, you want to make $10,000 a month? And I'm like, yeah, I want to make $10,000 a month. I'm probably like 21. Mm -hmm. And it was an ad for a salon. I was like, wait a minute, wait. So you telling me that these hairdressers is out here making 10 bands a month and I'm like, how are you doing that? Because I'm doing haircuts and I'm charging $15, $20. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, the ticket is higher for women's services. So mm -hmm. I politely went down to my local beauty supplier, bought some tracks of hair, bought some mannequins, and I played around with it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to get this. So I played around with it and I was not that good. But I started to post the work and that's when I kind of learned marketing. Mm. and like advertising your work. So I started posting the work and girls started really coming <laughs> to mm -hmm. let me do their hair, which I... Was I, it good in the beginning? Girl, no. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it now, no. I still have my very first albums from the first heads that I... Oh my I God, took. you gotta send me some pictures. <laughs> you got to. Because, <laughs> okay. wait, so here's the thing. You didn't like it, but did your clients like them? For the times, it was cool. Yeah. Like, it was cool, sir. Like, the swoops. The invisible parts, the swoops, the bobs with all the layers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of that. Did all of that. Yeah. yeah, so it makes sense to me why you decided to go the wig route. As a man, and I don't know if I can make a, this differentiation, okay. but $10,000 got you, number one. And then it's like, how can I do this? If this is the industry where I can make the money, this is how I'm going to get into the hair. Yeah. So for so I understand like the money was the route why wigs not cutting mm -hmm. not like natural hair not uh, silk presses there's so many different routes you yeah. could have went so that's one of the things that got you but one of the things that you mentioned earlier was like you always had this passion for hair yeah. but like through finding yourself there was a time where it kind of like you just was like nah I don't want to do it yeah. and then it hit back in 19 at 19 years old mm -hmm. where you saw the the flyer. So like as you're growing up, right, you mm -hmm. had the love for hair and then it goes away. Yeah. What are you now interested in doing? Are you doing sports? How, what are you doing? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> not doing sports. Um, I think during that time, I really was just trying to fly underneath the radar. Like really? I've always been a bigger boy. So you know i was always seen but i was just trying to i was trying to figure it out trying to fly underneath the radar and also what played a huge part of me my my loss of interest in hair during that time was the simple fact that during that era 
males hairdressers weren't glamorized the way they were. It, they, it came with a bad reputation or, yeah. you know, a stigma that came along with it. And at a young age, I didn't want to be associated with that. So it was like, uh, nah. And mm -hmm. I always been a bookworm. So I just got into my academics and I did school and I tried to take the traditional route. Like, yeah. hey, let's go to college and do those things. But that went for me. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting that you had a, your face with you know, the stigma mm -hmm. that society places on a role. And yeah. there's so many different stigmas, but the one being male hair hairdressers, you're faced with that decision early on, mm -hmm. and that forces you to try the traditional path, mm -hmm. right? Now, you got into the books, you started becoming a, well, you said you were always a bookworm. Yeah. What subject, like, tickled your fancy? Honestly, it was science. Um, so the first thing that I want, I wanted to be so many different things. I wanted to be, the first thing that I really, really wanted to be was an OBGYN. Okay. So um, I, I'm fascinated with life and like bringing life into the world. So I was, I was into that and I was probably like 14 at that time. I remember okay. I actually volunteered in labor and delivery when I was 14. <laughs> oh my Lord. I'm thinking back to when my, my goddaughter was born and I was so traumatized. Yeah, and I quickly <laughs> <laughs> regrouped and I was like, okay, let's do something different. This ain't it. <laughs> okay, so yeah. science, OBGYN. So it was science first and then um, I've always just been like kind of quirky and into all types of things. I wanted to be a coroner at one point in time mm. because I just found fascination in death. <laughs> um, and then after that, once I got a little bit older and I got a little seasoned, I became like interested in like philosophy and psychology. So when I was in college, I studied psychology. What did you want to be? Did you want to be a psychiatrist, psychologist? Mm-hmm, because I feel like I'm really good at sitting down, talking to people, and I'm a good listener. Really? Mm -hmm. That's dope. Mm -hmm. Honestly and truly, if we, if we think about it, the right hairstylist can be a good it therapist. It goes hand in hand. I feel yeah. like the reason I did well was because I had that that background. Like I, my customers came in my chair and they poured out to me, and they never felt judged. Mm -hmm. And I'm giving you solutions for the problems while we sit in there. Absolutely, so got an action plan. Yep. Absolutely, but just talking about this is my this is your operation side of things. I love to have a good conversation, but yeah. can you still keep it within time frame? I used to keep it. One thing about me. Um, that schedule was laid out a certain type of way and I used to tell people all the time like you know how you get off at 5 o'clock I do too and I'm going to be ready to go so that extended time sometimes some services overlapped of mm -hmm. course and some things take longer that's one of the biggest lessons of my life everything takes more time than what you really think mm -hmm. it's going to take talk about it but um, yeah I used to try to keep my windows pretty approximate and even now like talking to my old customers mm -hmm. it was like one thing about it you never had us in here all day mm -hmm. and it's like because i don't want to see my whole shift <laughs> listen but i want to ask you said that's one lesson that you learned and i know mm -hmm. life lessons don't always come with sunshine and rainbows <laughs> so how did you learn about like you know things taking longer than you all than you expected them doing hair like i'm I, if i block off a two-hour increment of time for something the custom in my mind ideally you're gonna come in and we're gonna be ready to go and get right into it it never goes that way there's always some type of interruption for the intention mm -hmm. every single time so whether there's traffic or hey can you add this to this or this to that it just takes more time and for me like as I'm learning to give myself more grace because you know I, I, I give myself timelines now and it's like okay sir you are not Superman you can only do 
so much in these hours. So give yourself more time than what you think is going to take you. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Now on your like with you learning this this develop this skill of you being able to talk to people, mm -hmm. listen. You're in college for psychology. Mm -hmm. Were you still doing hair at that time? So I started to do hair when I was in college. So around I'm probably around 2021. 20, I was in college and um, you know, just doing little side hustle gigs as hair. And I moved here when I was 23. So at 23, I had I had worked in making of my making in my hometown Macon, for a while, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for a while. But when I moved here, um, I was like I was at a crossroads. It was like you can continue to go this psychology route. This is something that you, you know, it's interesting to me, but it's not something that I'm necessarily passionate about. I feel like if I do this, I'm going to be uncomfortable because I'm not a suit and tie type of man. Or you can do what is just, it comes naturally to you. Mm. Um, you get to go to work cute every day. Mm -hmm. You can have a less structured schedule. So I was at a crossroad and I quit my junior year. I was like, you know what, we're just going to try this hair thing and see where it works. And that path, like, it was short. It looked short at that point. It was like, okay, go to hair school, get a license, work in a salon. It looked like a short path, but it's so long now. So yeah. I'm glad I chose it. That's amazing. So you dropped out of college mm -hmm. for, for um, your passion and you never look back. But the decision to be at a fork in the road and to go from choosing the traditional path to like the pros of you mm -hmm. actually being a hairstylist, what was that process like? Did you tell your parents? Were you, were you, no? <laughs> let me tell you something. Um, I'm you sorry. Like, let me tell you something, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was already grown at that point. There was nothing to be said and I realized that like everybody pushes you on these traditional routes because they didn't do it and they want you to do it because they feel like it's going to get you somewhere that they didn't get. And that wasn't the case for me. So I didn't have any deliberations with anybody outside of myself. And I, I stood on it. Like, I stood on it. Dang. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So now, fast forward, you decide to go become a, th um, I want to say therapist, but I'm thinking a hairstylist, right? <laughs> a hair therapist. Yeah. <laughs> a hair therapist. Yeah. How did you, like, what, how did you get your start in the industry? Your official start in Atlanta. You're new to the city. <laughs> What did you do? Man, oh my gosh, this one, the hustle started. So I didn't have a salon, I didn't have a license, but I knew I knew what to do. And I took something that I was good at again and applied it to this. So prior to all of these things, you remember MySpace back in the day? I do. The kids used to pay me to design MySpace pages and to do like little flyers and stuff for them. So I got on Craigslist and I realized the same coding from MySpace is the same coding that you do for Craigslist. So I used to design these elaborate landing pages for on Craigslist. Craigslist. Yep. And I'm, I'm Darius Boone, um, your traveling hairstylist. Let me come to you. You know, this is what we do. And I literally, I had a button that said click here where you could book the services online, so on and so forth. And that's how I ran the first place. So I started to get customers like that. I remember I had on like this teal colored suit. Like I, I really, I guess I didn't know it was branding then. Like I just wanted to look professional. Mm -hmm. But you know, I started to brand myself to, towards a certain type of woman and they ate it up. That's good. Mm -hmm. Were you, okay, so you said that's the first play you ran. 
So in your mind, are you thinking long-term strategy or are you like, let me do this thing, let me do this no. thing, now let me do this? Yeah, I'm 23, so nah, I'm definitely not thinking that, but I'm just like, I need to, I dropped out of college, so the school checks are about to end. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, I remember I was like, I paid, I moved here in August, I paid my rent up until January. And I think I stayed in school, I stayed in school that entire first semester. So when I was about to go to hair school, I knew there was not any more funds coming. And it was like, either you're gonna keep driving back and forth to making and make this little money, or you're gonna have to figure out how to transition it here. So definitely was not a long-term strategy. It was more so a survival tactic so that I could pay my bills. And at that time, me and my friend was living in a two-bedroom apartment. It was six fifty a month. I had to come up with $325. But again, in 2011, that wasn't as easy as it is now. Not as easy as you knew. Because yeah. back then, I feel like wigs were about... How much were wigs going for back then? Nah, this was before then. Like, oh. this was before, this is before virgin hair was even, I mean, maybe virgin hair was a thing. I was just a country boy who didn't know anything about it. But this was before, like, the girls even got into wearing good, good hair. They were still going to, like, the um, Chinese hair stores buying hair at mm. that point in time. So mm-hmm. it wasn't as easy to come by. The wigs were in. The, the cute wigs, it was still taboo at that point. Very true. Mm-hmm. My mom um, lived in, um, I say very true, like I was there, <laughs> but I'm speaking specifically to a story my mom used to, she used to, used to tell me. She lived in um, LA mm-hmm. and she said that back in the day when they used to get like pieces, hair yeah. pieces is what they call them, they used to have to go to the back of the hair salon to get their hair done because they didn't want anybody to know they had a hair piece. I think back on times like that, like I think like when I used to watch Martin back in the day and Gina them used to have good hair and like how people used to really want to convince other people that that was their real hair and it was something that you didn't ask people and now you see a girl and it's like, girl, what length is that? How many bundles you got? Is that a closure or front? And it's just like, it's major invasion of privacy, but it's more talked about now because we know more. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You said invasion of privacy. It my is. Mind. It's just like, mind your business. That's a fact. Yeah. I'm trying, like, so I'm, I'm still interested in the business side of it. And then the gumption that you took to start the Craigslist <sighs> page, to put yourself out there and to start doing hair. So I'm really interested about the business <laughs> side of things. But the type of customer, this is still in the lane, right? Okay. You said you were branding yourself. You knew what type of client you wanted. Mm-hmm. And then we're also talking about this mindset around hair. Mm-hmm. So the client that you were looking for, what is her personality? Is she like, is she like high profile? You don't, she doesn't want anybody to know what she has in her head? What's it like? No. So back then the ideal customer was... <laughs> either a like a kept woman so like a housewife who who had kids and couldn't necessarily get to the salon but it's like hey I have a salon space here or you can come here and set up shop and do my hair or it was more of a corporate CEO type of woman who was the breadwinner of the house and you know she didn't have the time to get to the salon for these long these long services like weave services take time so mm-hmm. it just takes a lot of time and most of the women that I served were like outside of the city city perimeter. So it's just like, oh, all the good hairdressers live downtown. I wish I had somebody in my area who did good hair. And I'm like, oh, well, I can be in your area. Mm, okay, you were traveling. Mm, I was That's traveling. right. Mm-hmm. So I would just come to, come to them, set up shop. It was a good experience. I used to have a good time. Can I ask you how much money you made? You were going from like 350, split, 325 rent mm-hmm. with your, your friend. Can I ask you like, what was the first like, 
set of income, if you will. I don't even remember. Like mm -hmm. I was, I was surviving. I was trying. You were to, still surviving. Yeah, I was mm -hmm. surviving, just trying to pay my rent. Okay. Pay, um, you know, our utilities. I had just got my first car with the car note, so I'm trying to pay my car note. Mm -hmm. So I was just surviving. It really. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I wasn't keeping up with it. Was, it. And it wasn't, it obviously wasn't like rolling in dough. Yeah. But you were still hustling. Mm -hmm. Got you. Um, my mind is going between your <laughs> ideal client and the business. I got to ask you, you mentioned like the corporate, the, your, your ideal woman was the corporate woman or the, or the kept mm -hmm. woman. And I think about identity, like especially people leaving like their nine to five mm -hmm. because they can't wear their natural hair or because yeah. they'll be judged. So they have to like keep the straight hair yeah. and make it seem like they have like white people hair. And yeah. there's so many, there's so many stigmas, right? Yeah. Around your natural hair. So therefore you would prefer not to wear, mm -hmm. you know, your own hair. What does that say for like, what is the mindset or what's the, what's the conversation around you know, self-love, self-appreciation, mm -hmm. and the desire to wear a wig. Honestly, really not even a conversation in that aspect. It's more so a conversation of convenience. Mm. So the women that I dealt with, I don't think they would have had problems wearing their real hair before these weaves and wigs were a thing they had to wear their real hair, whether it was relaxed or cut short or whatever. What I did was I, and this is when I realized value, I saved them time because I'm coming to you every six to eight weeks to do a new install of weave where that is going to save you maybe three hours in the salon every single week. So it was more so a time situation where it was, I made it convenient for them to look good all the time instead of having to, you know, wake up in the morning and flat iron this or wrap this or go get this roller set. So it was a convenience thing. Mm, convenience, mm, not mm. even like. Not even. Mm, mm. Like what? <laughs> Cause like okay, so here's the thing. It's like the conversation. You you remember Good Hair with uh Chris Rock, mm -hmm. and he talked about like how you know people go all the way to India one, yeah. steal those lovely ladies' hair who are sacrificing for the religion, <laughs> and sell it for you know sell it on the yeah. black the, the black market before it goes to the the real market, mm -hmm. and you think about like the desire to not wear your actual like natural hair it sounds like what you're saying is the conversation is not even about you know natural hair or my hair it's just about can you get me in and out so it's i don't have to do my hair anymore yeah it's not even that deep like on the on our side of the fence it's not even a conversation of you know identity with natural hair and mm. you know are people making you feel a type of way or do you feel any less than because of your hair it's more so a convenience thing like hey i don't want to damage my real hair mm. by doing all these processes so you know i want to do this i want to have hair color i want to be have blonde hair this week red hair next week but i can't do this to my red hair because i'm not gonna have any hair mm -hmm. so it was more so that yeah <laughs> you almost made me laugh <laughs> but we want to keep our edges okay yeah so um you i remember you watching you or on your social media you're moving into the education space mm -hmm. and i'm going to get back into the business i promise you okay it's um good. but you moved you you did an educational piece What's the proper process that a woman should go through? Like, and how does she know if it's the wrong thing? <laughs> because now she needs to know what to expect from a hairstylist who does care about the hair, but it is truly there for that convenience, but they're not gonna leave you without your edges or without no hair. So, okay, give me the question again. What's the right process that a hairstylist should go through when a woman comes into for, for an install? 
Okay, so the proper process that you want to go through when you're going in for an install, first and foremost, depending on the type of install, you want to have a consultation because every type of extension does not serve every type of client. Mm. So if you have someone who's actually offering consultations, you're probably in the right hands. They're not just trying to get your money. They don't want to make their life any harder by not giving you the right thing. Once you actually get there, you want to, again, have another type of consultation just so that the expectations are realistic because people come in with things and situations and circumstances with and they they have these outcomes that aren't realistic Mm. so you know those types of conversations need to be had um having your hair shampooed while you're there i have this conversation on my instagram all the time about these new age stylists who want you to come, <laughs> my friend says, y'all want me to come to the, my hair appointment with my hair already done? And <laughs> um, so basically they want you to come already shampooed, blow dry, detangled, but it's a time thing because they bad at time management. Mm. Um, so if you go in and you get a shampoo regardless of the service, that is definitely something good to see. Um, something as simple as barbicide, knowing that they clean their combs, like just keeping mm. certain things, the neatness of the area that they work in, the type of tools that they use. So you you just want to make sure you're peeping the scene as a customer, but the process should look like you walking in at the time that you scheduled, you being serviced within, I would say maybe about 10, 15 minutes of you being there, a shampoo being included, um, and then you you being able to leave like it's a, it should be a flow it, very simple. Mm, we got to get back to the flow. Mm-hmm. But for now, the, you are servicing women. You're traveling. You are traveling install technician. Would you say how would you how would you characterize that role? Um, I, like my initial role. I was definitely doing installs, but I was doing everything. I wasn't turning no money down. You would do a quick weave. You would do a, a, a what you call it, a, Man, a roller I, set. I was not doing a roller set. Okay. That was not my strong suit. I knew <laughs> I couldn't do those in hair school. I never really got finished with them on the mannequin, so I didn't. I never tried that on a person. Okay. But I would do. I was doing color. I cut it. Whatever you needed me to do, I would do it. And if I didn't know how to do it, I'm watching YouTube videos when you book the appointment and all the way up until I get to your driveway. And the thing is, I'm <laughs> go. I'm good with what I do. So it was like, I'll figure it out and it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What year was this? This was like 2012, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. YouTube University. YouTube Let's University. Go. One of the very first graduates. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yes. it. So when did you start to get the idea? Okay. I don't want to do uh, travel installations anymore or not even just installations, but travel um, hair technician anymore. I want to do something different. Once I got my license. So I did that until I got my license. And once I got my license, I had the right to go and work in a salon. So I got my license in... I want to say maybe like March of 2013, mm-hmm. and I was in a salon later that year. So I went, I went the salon route. Okay, was there different income potential, or was it about the same? Um, it was more income because I chose a salon that was very, very popular that had a lot of walk-in traffic. So mm-hmm. it was, it was basically what I liked about it. It was like, okay, instead of me traveling around to all these people, because when you're traveling in Atlanta. I used to be like up in Canton, then I got to try to drive to Marietta, then I got to try to drive here and there. It's just like I could be in one central location and everybody can come to me. Yeah. So I like that a lot better. Mm. And when you, so when you were traveling, how many heads could you service when you were traveling versus when you were sitting in a chair? 
Um, on a good travel day, and I'm still young and I didn't really know what I was doing, maybe two or three, but in the salon, once I got in the salon, like, I used to be there, I, I call it a trap. Like, I used to be in a trap all day. I get there at nine o'clock, I might not leave until nine. Mm. So, I can knock out nine people. So, it used to be a marathon. I love it. Now, as a professional, we talked about the difference of, like, professional, um, hairstylist, you mm -hmm. branding yourself, um, identity, all of these yeah. things are coming into one. Now you're going from like kind of hustling yeah. to going into an environment where there are people who have been doing hair for a long time, yeah. there are people who probably haven't. And so how are you finding that you are fitting into the, the culture at the um, at the hair style, your first salon? I fit in pretty well, but honestly, it was still a hustle. Hair is such a hustle, people don't realize the the corporate well I won't even say the corporate but the structure mm -hmm. within it people start their own salons and it's still a hustle so they're they're in their salon hustling against people that they hired who should be helping them. Oh. So that's why I do what I do because they don't really, they have no clue <laughs> mm -hmm. like how large it can be and the type of work and development that it takes to really create something that can run without you being the heart of it. So if you were to think about the ideal setup, like mm -hmm. you as Darius and whatever side of the future, let's say five months from now, what exactly do you want to go into a, a salon and, and do? Like, what's the result that you that you really want to do for a, a salon? So if I was to do a salon now, yeah. I actually just mapped this out not long Let, ago. Ooh, break it down. So basically what I would do is, again, women are so used to not being treated well or dealing with unprofessional stylists that I would have like an upscale, like, salon bar situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I literally mapped this down. I will work two days a week. I will work Tuesday and Thursday because I'm running 11-11, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. Mm -hmm. So it would be me being in the salon two days a week. I would have um, two other people in there with me. I would have a shampoo technician, um, and I would have a braider. You know, they would assist me with the flow. So I could, we could take as many people as we needed to, but it would be an experience for women who who don't want to be around when you go to the salon sometimes sometimes you just want to be quiet and not be bothered like yeah. some people like the camaraderie of it but most people want to be relaxed mm -hmm. so it would be a relaxing spa type of situation where we would just be it we would be running it up like everything mm -hmm. would be it would be everything would be high ticket because mm -hmm. of the experience itself and because of the the flow of it so yeah you would come in as soon as you come in hey Ariel you know, come over to the shampoo bowl. Would you like champagne or would you want a smoothie? Mm -hmm. You come down, you know, you sit down, you get your scalp treated the way you needed to. Then you would move to the next person who would braid your hair if you was doing an install. Mm -hmm. And then it would just be me doing the part of the job that I like, which yeah. was, you know, sewing and curling. Mm -hmm. And we would get get people in and out of there um, on those days. And then the rest of the days, that so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, I would have like associate stylists so people could come in and receive the same type of service but it wouldn't be me like because I would have my own prices mm -hmm. but so that I wouldn't be competing with my staff. 
So I would have, you know, like let's say my install would be 350, but my staff, it may be 250 or, you know, something else. So those other days, you can still come in and get service. It just wouldn't be me, but the same experience. Mm, so you would structure it where if they want an appointment with you, they would do 350. Mm -hmm. But if they can't get an appointment with you, they would do 250 mm -hmm. for your other stylist. Mm -hmm. Would you ever do like everybody, no matter, or how would you get it to a point where whether you're there or not, Mm -hmm. they will get the exact same hairstyle. Okay, so the plan would, would be for me to be in a slinker because I planned this out. I would only come back for two years and then eventually phase back out again. Mm -hmm. And then the prices would be set. So how inflation works, the prices slowly trickle up anyway. So we would eventually get to that 350 price for everybody across the board because then at that point my price might be 600 mm. And the girls would be like, look, Derek, I love you to death, but we're not doing that. <laughs> so, you know... Um, it would be just me phasing myself out so that everybody can be on an even playing field price-wise. Mm, so your goal is to teach your process mm -hmm. to all of the salon technicians to the point where you no longer work in the salon mm -hmm. and everybody just does your process mm -hmm. and everybody's getting paid the same amount. Mm -hmm. That's actually much more reliable because mm -hmm. when I come into the studio, it's like people are people are people, right? We're yeah. we're human. One of we could be sick sometimes. Like we could yeah. be late. Our baby could be sick, and it's honestly and truly like I don't want to feel like if this person goes down, I'm screwed. Yeah. Like I gotta get it. Dang, I gotta get that's it. how y'all be feeling. Absolutely. I can imagine. Dang, I never thought of it from that perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't like to feel like. I, so one, I like the relationship that I have with my lactation, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about my specific. I'm just saying like if I go get my hair done, yeah. it's a barber, right? It's the relationship, right? Yeah. But if you are not available, I don't want the panic. I have a photo shoot tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I got this big thing tomorrow. And now I have to like truly stress about yeah. the quality. Who am I gonna trust to do the quality you of want style? The standard to be across the board. Yeah, that's what I learned from the salon that I was in. No matter no matter who you went to in that salon, because of the atmosphere that she created, you knew you were gonna walk out and you was gonna be fine. Mm. So if your stylist was not available, it's like okay, I just go over here to Megan or yes. I go over here to Paris or somebody. Mm -hmm. The conversation might be different, but the quality of work would be the same. So I, I understand. That's where I'm at with mm -hmm. it. And as a client, I don't like to feel indebted to have to go to you. Yeah. If you're not here, I need you to be like, okay, well, this person, I trust this person to do your yeah. hair. I don't want Ooh, you to feel like if I'm not there. You got the way. Oh, that's how you feel? If you want it my way, yeah, because again, we we may have all been trained the same way, but you know how it is when everybody goes different ways to get to the same goal. So it might not be what you're necessarily used to. And the outcome, and we all have, we're artists. So everybody has their own touches to things. So it may not be exactly the same. And I would always tell my clients, you know, I would recommend them to people, even when I retire. You know, who can I, who do you recommend? I'm just like, you could go wherever, but it's not going to be the kid. Like, you could do I, it. I, I, okay, I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling. Because in this, um, in the great resignation, people are leaving their jobs. People yeah. want to leave doing what they're doing. It still leaves people to need to get their hair done. And Man. what really, really is frustrating is like <laughs> the stylists who so desperately want to leave the chair, yeah. but not place someone in the chair who is good enough to replace them. I think I think stylists should be thinking about secession. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like when I say secession, I mean like you need to have somebody ready to take your spot 
at a moment's notice because everybody wants to go on vacation on a Monday. They don't think like that. <laughs> they don't think like that. And we, our community is extremely competitive. So it is, it's hard enough to have a salon and find people to work in your salon just to pay you booth rent. Mm -hmm. So to find someone to come in and take over your clients when you're not there is. Well, what do we do, Darius? Wait till your stylist come back. <laughs> no. Wait till your stylist come <laughs> no. back. Yeah, it, I, there's really nothing to say about it. Like, I don't know of, I don't know any stylist, a friend of mine, who has a person in their area who, who can take their clients when they're not there. Like, we, mm. our industry is so, again, it's hustle-driven, it's boss driven nobody wants to work underneath anybody if you have not noticed the trend of salons are starting to disappear mm -hmm. and i noticed it a while ago that's why i never opened a full salon of my because i was like what we're not going to do is have this salon and grow this audience and have these girls coming here for this experience and i'm constantly changing out people all the time because mm -hmm. the stylists don't want to stay so yeah you gotta wait till your stylists come back okay so here's <laughs> the thing this is how i feel about like individuals because mm -hmm. i think that Yes, there is this desire to not work under someone, yeah. but I do believe that what leaders are failing to realize, yeah. and the reason I say leaders is this is in corporate and this is in entrepreneurship, yeah. is people are always going to need someone to work for you. Yeah. But because we have this mentality where like, I don't want to have a job anymore, if you're an employee, you this, it creates another stigma. Coming yeah. back to a stigma. If you're an employee, you working for somebody, you mm -hmm. are not the boss, where your boss at, da 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 da. Right? Yeah. But I do believe that if you understand what your employee's vision is mm -hmm. and you truly do build them up based on what who they want to be, you know they want to be an independent stylist, you know that they want, like, help them foster the type of person that they're going to be. Yeah. Otherwise, I do believe that the salon industry could crumble. Yeah. And it's not a sustainable business to be an individual hairstylist. Yeah. And not have a succession plan. Your, your your empire goes when you die. Why not train somebody up who has a vision? That's exactly why I created Eleven and Eleven Extensions because I realized I realized exactly what you said, and I was like, I need a tangible product. So if anything ever happens, and I am not able to stand behind this chair for these hours, I still have a product that I can send out. Mm. So. Yeah, they don't really think like that. They don't. But there, even with your product, I still don't get my hair done. Yes, you do. I can. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you like I'm on. I'm on vacation. Go buy that course. I've been on vacation. This this is the thing. The way that I have my company set up, um, I could be on vacation. And I run my wig company from my house, and I have workers who come into my house who basically I've trained them in my methods to do everything. So honestly, the place that I'm in in my business now, the wigs that the women are receiving, I don't touch. So I, I guess that would be my succession, but you have to create something where it, I can go on vacation. I'd be gone for two weeks at a time, and the orders are still going to be filled regardless. But when you're servicing a client, you know, needle and thread, doing all this, curler, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel it. To be continued, because <laughs> until then, we're we going to have We're going to figure it out. Yeah. So you are at the salon. You get, you go from traveling to at, in a home. And so tell me about your development as a professional. Like, you, you talked a little bit about your branding. Mm -hmm. 
So what type of clients do you find come to you now? Is your ideal client changing or? Nope, it's the same type of mm-hmm. woman. I've, if anything, I've changed. Mm, tell me mm-hmm. more. So if anything, I changed. I was a youngin', so I didn't, I didn't know any, I didn't know much. Like I was just figuring it out, navigating it. Now I'm way more intentional. That's why I can say we serve coaches, CEOs, content creators and corporate women like because those are the type of women that I align with you know at this age that I am now when I was in the salon most of my clients were the same type of women like it went from being you know the kept woman kind of fizzled out or it became a different type of kept woman who like she was kept but she still had her own I was just like what mm-hmm. I was just amazed by the type of women that I ran into and honestly the beauty of me being in the salon and how I am now. I am who I am now because of the women that poured into me. So I stay true to those types of women. So I don't want to, if you are anything outside of them three things that I said, I I mean, I could serve you, but I don't know if we would necessarily align. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the customers changed, stayed the same. I was, I grew up. You grew up. Mm-hmm. Mm. As a and you remember that the part where you should said that there was like a stigma of like male um, mm-hmm. hairdressers. As a, finally you get to a male, like a, a not a male but a man, right? You're mm-hmm. an adult and you're you're a man tech um, hairstylist. Do you actually come face to face with any of that judgment that you that you experienced when you were younger? The best way to support the Work and Play podcast is by subscribing to the YouTube channel and by going to your favorite podcast player to subscribe and rate the Work and Play podcast. That's all you have to do. So if you are liking the Work and Play podcast, the content, the stories that we're sharing, and you know that this will help someone, go ahead and share the content to someone who could actually use it and help them on their journey to transition from corporate into entrepreneurship. Now let's get back into the episode. The times change. The mm. times change. So, you know, when I'm younger, you got to think, when I was going through that stigma of what I feared would be said about me being a hairdresser, I was in making, so I was in a different place. This was, you know, earlier 2000, so 2006, seven versus now, you know, 2013, 14, where we're on Instagram and we're seeing the Kellen Derricks and we're seeing the Tokyo Styles, these glamorized male Hollywood hairdressers and all the women flock to the men hairdressers at this point. So at that time, it, it went from being something that I feared to being an advantage. Mm-hmm. And I played into the advantage. So I was like, okay, I know that these... So when I went to the salon that I worked in, I was the only boy there. They ate it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mom's hairdresser was a, um, a man. <laughs> His name was Big Perm. Oh my God. <laughs> Y'all would not call me Big Perm. <laughs> You're not going to know. <laughs> the difference so do you ever you know it's funny because a lot of things that I'm curious mm-hmm. about I ask you like it's not that deep but <laughs> you just think differently and it's on this side you got to think this is beauty so it is very it's I won't say it's shallow but it's surface level so being a deeper thinker in this industry will have you flustered a lot of the time <laughs> I feel like time management my time management will suffer because if I'm a psychologist yeah. and uh, somebody sits in my chair and they're talking to me I feel like I'm doing their hair but I'm also working with them as a therapist right mm-hmm. that definitely is my problem I would say that would be my problem if I was a hairstylist. it wouldn't be mine because once I'm done what I'm doing the conversation is over <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, girl, it's gonna be okay. Just pray about it. You know, see it with yourself, and you know, know how you really feel when you're coming back. Okay. Right. I got you. And still feel welcome to come back. Mm -hmm. What I was gonna say is, even when it comes like big perm, when I think about some of the, (laughs) when I think about the male stylists that I know. Um, the opposite of a stigma is yeah. that like male stylists do better hair. Yeah. Like it's just something with like the maybe the technicality of it or yeah. just the way you guys work with like creative things. Yeah. Do you know what that is that differentiate a male male hairstylist from a female hairstylist? I would say you want it for real. Give it to me. Okay, so I don't really feel like there's a big difference skill-wise between a male and a female hairdresser. I think (laughs) what it is is women view other women as, I won't say competition or maybe a threat. So when a man is doing your hair, you're not feeling like, oh, he finna mess this up for this, you know, these reasons. So they're a little bit more at ease with me. I used to tell my female coworkers all the time, I was like, you know, the things that I say to these women, if you were to say to them, y'all would be on this floor right mm. now. So it, I don't really think it's a different skill situation. I think, you know, most women like masculine energy. So even if you have a flamboyant male hairdresser, it's still a man. So you just feel a little bit more at home versus this woman behind you touching you. So I, That's real. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. Can't help but to think deep about it because I'm just yeah. like, what if our hands are bigger? Like, we really can't do like some of the stuff. I can't do certain stuff because my hands are so oh, large, really? yeah. So, I don't think it's a, a, a difference. In you don't think males are like positioned maybe, better to be here? Maybe, um, I would say maybe a little bit more attentive to detail, but outside of that, no. Okay, attentive yeah. to detail. That's the big. Yeah. I do believe that um, I remember like certain like swoop styles like, oh, Big Perm mm-hmm. wouldn't have did that, you know. <laughs> this Big Darius wouldn't have did it either. I don't, <laughs> I don't like a swoop. <laughs> I yeah, got you, I got you. my thing. Do you ever, um, I don't know what like hair shows and stuff are like <laughs> in 2022, but do you ever think about using your brand or your platform to do things like that? Absolutely. Like long term for what I'm building now, that's exactly where I see it. I would want my program to almost be like a seminar for continued education for stylists because even if you look on your Instagram now, I'm pretty sure you follow hair pages. Everybody shows you how to do the skills. Let me show you how to do this front. So let me show you how to make this wig. They never show you the business behind it, setting the budgets for it, running the campaigns for mm-hmm. it, um, outsourcing the help for it. They never show you that portion. And I feel like that's something that we really need. So that is something that I want to do. Mm, so a- as far as outside looking in, hair shows are not just about like the the actual like show part. There's education around mm-hmm. like the business side of things or does that is that happening right now sometimes yes it is but people don't pay attention to that part i've gone to hair shows for years and it's a whole bunch of shenanigans on the floor it is a hair show in the beauty community going to the hair show is like going to i won't say the grammys for hair but it is like going to the prom for hair so everybody got on their wildest 
get up the craziest hair and it's it's more of a, a show mm -hmm. you know and so people selling things so it's a show to be seen mm -hmm. to meet people who you haven't met before and to sell what you have there are educational classes going on behind the scenes but they don't even advertise the classes as much as they do the experience of the show got you yeah. which is the, the important part mm -hmm. i remember I, I selected a hairstyle a, a hair salon literally because of the booking process mm -hmm. i just love the way the website was set yeah. up i was like all i had to do was find a time book what i needed pay that my used to be me pay your deposit oh. and hey i'm just calling to confirm my appointment Baby, you ain't got to confirm anything. If it's on the books, I see you there. That's the yep. type of relief. That's the type of convenience I would. It's pay an for. experience, yeah. Oh my goodness! And to learn that at a hair show, I think that's that's invaluable. Yeah. So if that's the type of education that you want to do, that's important. Mm -hmm. um, up until this point, we've like gotten clear on like who you are as a professional. Yeah. Like you have pretty much figured out your way through the business mm -hmm. as a hustler. And then you've actually gotten your certification to become a professional. And then you've learned the things that work well for a, mm -hmm. a hairstyle, hair salon and what hasn't. And I'm thinking about the journey because even though you're not in corporate, a lot of us, we have to learn about where our internal drive is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I don't necessarily, I use motivation, like Jim Rohn's, Les Brown. Yeah. That's what got me up out of the bed every mm -hmm. sometimes. But at some point, it has to be an internal drive. Yeah. Now, for me, I necessarily have like this, like living out of my house, you know, not my house, but my car or some type of like eating syrup sandwiches or anything like yeah. that. But like for you, do you like what was your syrup sandwich moment or what was that thing in your life that you remember? Mm -hmm. This is just like, I'm not going back here and <laughs> that's that's not going to happen and I'm going to do it. I'm going to continue to drive. I'm forward. living through that moment now. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm living through it now. So I, I watched your episode about having an exit strategy and I thought I had an exit strategy when I left the salon and I did not have a solid one. So leaving... Okay, I explained it to people like this. When I left the salon, that was like me quitting my job. So now I'm running this, this wig company. The wig company was doing good sales, but I never really knew how to manage the money or pay myself from that. So now I'm having to really trim down the fat in my personal life so that I can see this wig company through. So that would be my syrup sandwich moment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, we see how humble we have to be and we see how we used to live. We're not ever going back to that again. <laughs> so, you know, we have to really drive this thing on home if we're going to do it. I love yeah. it. I love it. Okay, so you said pairing back. So what's the shift? What's the plan right now? You said you mapped it out. What's the next step that we have to see from Darius? Oh, that mapping out, me going into the salon was just me um, <laughs> listening to Rachel Rogers and trying to map out them $10,000 quick. Good, <laughs> but, yeah. um <laughs> nah, it's, I, I, I just don't see me going back. I, I, like, I'm down for taking some steps back to take steps forward, but I just know how time-consuming it is to be a hairstylist. And the reason that I, I really left, and the reason I'm thankful that I left, is when you're in a position of being a stylist and you're going into the salon every single day, you don't have time to sit down and evaluate your business. You're constantly on go. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to ever go back to that again. I like being able to sit still and kind of see what is happening. I like being in the position of the observer. Mm -hmm. So where we're going with it now is more, more education and more consulting to help other people. 
Mm-hmm. You said you watched the episode on exit strategy and you thought you had an exit strategy. When did you decide, oh, I need an exit strategy? I had already exited. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Hold on, wait a minute. So that's why you that's said why you I left that comment that day. I was like, where was this last year when I needed it? Because I, I thought I had an exit strategy, but I did not. I, I was like, okay, we're going to save up six months of living expenses. Okay. You know, we're going to do this thing. Like I had... I have a three-bedroom house. I had a tenant in my house, so what I I guess my ex, I did have an extra strategy. You it just it did. didn't play out the way that I thought okay. it was. So it happened years. It took years to get there. So the first thing was I had a car with a car note. Got rid of the car, bought a cash car. So now we're keeping that money. Let the tenant move into the house. Now we we have less living expenses. Um, you know, we saved up six months of our portion of what we needed to pay for everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm like, okay, we got six months to figure this out. But mm-hmm. again, we still in this pandemic. Things are a little shaky. So many things. It did not work out how I thought it was going to work out. The tenant ended up losing her job. Mm-hmm. So my six months of expenses turned into three months. Mm-hmm. So then I had 90 days to figure it out. <laughs> so we just had to figure it out in 90 days but uh it's so crazy during that time was when i actually joined the morning meetup so it was perfect timing so i'm so like, like maybe last year around july august july? okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i just started to now that i got this time because i'm not in the salon and you know i gotta really figure it out I, I joined the community and i'm just like oh so this is this is how you run plays so ever since then every single month it's been something different that i just been trying and testing and tweaking over and over again has it been profitable yeah it's been i'm still here right <laughs> i am still that's here. the success of the journey it's like <laughs> when you still here so technically you did have an exit strategy it sounds like the faux pas was the pandemic <laughs> was it, so what else was it? No, I I guess for me, it, I had an exit strategy, and the thing was, I was just antsy to get out of there. Like okay. I was ready to go. Mm-hmm. I was so ready to go. And I, if I could have done it all over again, once I sold that car, I would have just saved up and I would have gave myself a date where we would want to do it, and we would have. I would have been a little bit more structured and disciplined, in, like the financial aspects of it and getting other things in place. But I, I just. I was like, if you don't do this now, you're not going to do it. Absolutely. I kept giving myself different days. It was like, okay, January 2021, we're going to leave the salon. January, I end up staying until April. And I'm just like, I'm, I quit. So I quit. So you had to leave. Sometimes mm-hmm. people have to like just take that take yeah. that leap um, in, t- t- in order to make it happen. But it sounds like you did think about the things that you could have at the time. Yeah. I would say, you know, the emotions, like the rush of like, I just got to get up out of here. That mm-hmm. part. I was drowning, man. Mm. <laughs> I had to go. You mentioned earlier you didn't have guidance. Um, and I can't remember if it was before the podcast started or or when or why, during the podcast. Yeah, me either. But I didn't. So when you are in the hair community, okay, if I'm a 23-year-old hairdresser, there are 35-year-old hairdressers, there are 45-year-old hairdressers. We're all we all work together, so there's no like uh, outside of hey, you might want to use this um, this toner to tone that down. There, career path wise, there isn't any any guidance. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know really. I'm like, so where do you go? So I guess the end goal is just to, end, to own a salon. So I thought that That's was what it, it was. Mm-hmm. And now it's something completely different. It's completely different. Mm-hmm. Kind of reshaping the the levels of like what a career yeah. trajectory could be. So as we wrap up and we think about that career trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
for somebody who feels like being a hairstylist has no security. Like, so I'm gonna just want to either keep my little, you know, um, corporate job or I'm gonna just go the, you know, the college route. I'm gonna yeah. get the degree. I'm gonna go do whatever I'm supposed to do yeah. traditionally. What would you say in an empowering way or to help someone understand the opportunities that they have in this industry? What would you say someone should do or could do to, you know, take their next steps and make a solid career in the hair industry? I would tell them to to honestly follow your gut and to niche down. I feel like once you do one thing within the industry, if you niche down and you, you follow that course, it will lead you into other things. I will also tell them to to understand that we are in a career where we make money very quickly and it goes very quickly. So educate yourself on finances and proper business structure. Most of us who work in this industry, we lack corporate structure, so we don't know anything about systems, time management, all of those things. Be be familiar with those types of things because that is what's really going to take you to the next level. Um, if not, you're just going to be, you're literally trapped in a rat race. Like, I make a thousand dollars, I'm going to spend this thousand dollars, but I know if I go back to work, eh, you know, you don't think about putting your money in other things so that you don't have to be in the race all the time. So, I would definitely just tell them to make sure they get education on finances and how to really run and manage a business. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. That's that's really powerful. I didn't realize the lack of structure mm -hmm. um, that um, the hairstylist industry might You can't might tell. <laughs> well. <laughs> you can't tell. I mean, to a degree now. Yeah. I had enough appointments go outside of the time frame, so I just, I struggle with like, can I just... But what you made me realize is, wow, a lot of us corporate professionals mm -hmm. are running away from structure. Yeah. It's very much needed in the industry. I'm seeing a synergy between corporate professionals who have that systems and business acumen. And that's why it's a collide, because you have these creatives who, who I just go into work and I do what I want to do. I mm -hmm. show up when I want to show up. Mm -hmm. And you have these people who are living on calendars and it's just like, Poof, and it don't fit. I was going to say, I was going to say a little, it could. If you if you were to get to do whatever you like, what you like to do, you like to do the curling, mm -hmm. you like to do the, the installs, and I just come and set your booking system up. I do your processes, and let's say I even Woo. train your employee. Yeah. If because I enjoy that part of it. Yeah. But all you have to do is provide your SOP. Like this is what I do first. This is what I do second. I just learned what the SOP was last year. Really? Yeah. I, I've never had a corporate job like I. You got to think. My my last job was when I was twenty two. I worked at Advanced Auto Parts. There was no SOPs. And most other people who work in the beauty industry, I know you don't hear. I'm pretty sure Big Perm had been doing hair since he was thirteen. Yeah. You never really have a job, so you don't know anything about that type of stuff. Yeah. So we really be out here just free balling trying to figure it out well let me tell you how we can help <laughs> i'm just saying if the next person you find who has a passion for hair yeah. might not be good at hairstyling yeah. i think that a person because i enjoy it but i know i get tired of it yeah but i do see that if you get to do what you like to do which is the hair part mm -hmm. and i get to learn your process train your team and ensure oh that's not the darius part yeah that's not the flip that's not the swoop. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can, it's called quality control. Yeah. I make sure that, you know what I'm saying? I make I sure that this is exactly how Darius would do it. That right there, mm -hmm. that's a succession plan. It is. Because Tiffany does her swoop just like Darius now. 
you know, Tiffany and Ashley might have a bit of a difference, but everybody is doing Darius's. It has to be a common, and that's why I play operations manager in the company. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to tell a customer yesterday, she was like, you know, I received tracking information on my order, but my wig hasn't been sent. And I told her, I was like, we printed out the shipping label because your wig was about to be seen. It was ready, but it didn't pass quality control because everything has to have a certain standard before it leaves out of here, and it has mm -hmm. to look as though I did it. So now I now that I know about SOPs and you know all these different things, I do have them. They in in different parts of the building mm -hmm. of the business, whether it is our operations with our wig makers or mm -hmm. for the the wig prep team or even just anything like even how we post on social media I had to when I tell you last year was a journey <laughs> but I now the business is actually a business it's not me you know I thought me being in business was just as long as I got everything done it was done and it's like no there's a system in order for how everything has to be in again but that's flow so you know now that I understand flow and I've created it within my business things go well like I we could have did this on Monday afternoon and we would have been completely fine the wigs were still gonna be shipped five o'clock on Let's Wednesday oh I love mm. a process I love a good process me too at this point so now I, even when I came in I'm just like oh this is your process <laughs> absolutely I, I got a whole SOP before yeah. you when next time it's gonna be a little checklist and stuff because everything has to be like I don't know it just gives me peace it does give you peace to know that you have you've met the mark and you know exactly what is going to happen is, is going to happen yeah I understand oh my goodness so I have one enjoyed your story Thank like you. you developing as a man and as a stylist all of that stuff really like I don't know like just the way you tell it mm -hmm. and I think like as you get into it some more yeah. you're going to give us a little bit more sauce on some of the, the nitty gritty <laughs> what kind of nitty let's ask like what I don't got? know <laughs> so like I guess this is more like you know your your least favorite customer what was the worst customer you ever did here mm -hmm. so all my least favorite customers I used to name them stressica <laughs> so the other girls would know if a stressica was in there with them or not because they recognize the stressica themselves stressicas were girls who always showed up late they always wanted the most and yeah. they always had the, the littlest amount of hair. I'm just like, you want these great expectations. Yeah. You come in here late rushing me because you got somewhere to go. Um, the stress of girls with girl who just, were women who thought that their time was more valuable than mine. And as a man in in my salon, it's like, what this is my show. So we're not even going to come in here with that type of energy and with all of that. I used to... <laughs> People would come to their appointment late, they fly the door. Oh my god! I was like, and I would literally just stand at it. I'm like, late, you're late, you're late. I see you tomorrow because I'm not. I have We're things to do. That. Yeah, if I, I went. One of the hardest things about in, being in the beauty industry is creating boundaries between you and your customers mm. because they feel like they're paying you. They think that they can just show up late and they can do all these things. Mm. So yeah, like creating boundaries within a business where. I wasn't always flaking on my friends because I'm thinking I'm getting off at 6, but I end up getting off at 10 because yeah. you came late or you wanted this extra stuff. Yeah. So creating the boundaries, and I had a lot of stressors, and I got to a point later in my career where I started to fire clients, and it was just like, I don't even, her conversation not good, she just, mm, we just not doing it. That's good. Now here's the thing, okay, mm -hmm. when it comes to conversation, I'm, I'm looking for an entrepreneur loctician. Is that too hard to ask for? Because I'm, I, I, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. I'm looking for somebody who can like tell me about their stock portfolio, why they do my hair. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure there are people who are going to. I think that's why the girls like me because I'm just like, oh, what y'all do? <laughs> I'm putting them on game. Like, mm-hmm. I used to be teaching the girls business credit while we was in yes. the while we was in the salon. I'm giving you a mixture of personal development because I like the same people, Les Brown, Jim Rohn, all of that. The stuff that I listen to every morning before I get to the salon. A matter of fact, you come in there, you the first customer of the day, you're going to either be listening to <laughs> Les Brown, you're going to be listening to Sarah Jakes Roberts, um, something along those lines, and then we're going to get down to the course of business stuff. So I actually teach people about all types of opportunities while we were there. So I, I'm pretty sure you could find an entrepreneur like Tishan who, you know, I need to just get a wig. Can I just sit in your chair? You can do me a wig. I don't have a chair anymore, but you definitely get a wig. Okay. <laughs> You're not doing the wigs no more either, so I can't get the... I mean, it was still... It, it's going to give Darius stuff, so... You know, I need fine. the conversation. I need the conversation. <laughs> if I don't... I guess I... They used to love it. Them girls used to want to be my best friend. And, I used to, and that was the hardest part. The boundaries in that. It's just like... Yeah. You know I'm just your hairdresser. They want to come... My clients had started going on vacation with me. They invited me on vacation with them. We going to dinner together. I'm meeting the husbands. But you create that bond, so I understand. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, and then because you have the therapist background, the psychology background, mm-hmm. um, it, being a hairstylist allows you to create a big, a better bond than like if you were an actual therapist. Because mm-hmm. then it's like, no, I can't go on vacation because I'm seeing the person you just got done telling me. <laughs> about your- it's still the same. <laughs> it's still the same. I'm still. Like, I'm just like oh, say. <laughs> okay, I see. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Oh my gosh, no. I I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this conversation. <laughs> and so so thank you again. You're welcome. Before we close up, I do want to know what would you say is the greatest thing that you've learned about yourself as a professional or as a man in this journey? Oh, um as a professional the greatest thing that I have learned as a professional um <laughs> when just to to give grace to yourself and to others that's just across the board honestly that's personal and business um as a person I'm I'm all business but like I'm big on personal development I feel honestly I feel like I just became a man last year mm. just became a man I, the way that I perceive the world and everything is completely different this year than what it was mm-hmm. last year. And it took me going through so many situations, so many different things. So, But again, the same, like give grace to yourself. Yeah. And once you give it to yourself, you can give it to others. Yeah. yeah. I believe that's how we're going to get to our life of work and play. Mm-hmm. Honestly and truly. Well, thank you so much you're for joining welcome. us. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for <laughs> watching if you're on YouTube. If there is somebody out there who is connecting with your story, they want to learn from you, they want to take a le- take yeah. a step towards your life of work and play, how can the folks connect with you? You can follow me on Instagram. My name is Darius underscore Boone. That's it? Yep. There we it. go. You can reach out. I'm sure there's a link in the bio whether you there want are, to. Oh, come on now. All the stuff. No, there's all a link the in things. the bio. Yeah, with all the things. I got you. Yeah. Well, you, you guys know exactly what to do. If you want to connect with Darius or if you want a, a special um, wig, there's going to be, of course, information below yeah. you can contact so that you can contact Darius. But until next time, thank y'all for listening. Thank you for watching it and see you guys next week. I right, see Peace. you later.